Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, episode 78 for the love of the game. Let's get it started. jazzed up and hype to do this episode due to the uh, MJ documentary and what I watched last night, and also a little bummed. Uh, I'll get into that in just a little second. First and foremost, really important, uh, I got to say thank you to all of you, the recent guests, the listeners, the fans, um, etc. So uh, coronavirus, yeah, coronavirus still very much sucks, and the podcast industry uh, has taken a hit as well. Uh, podcast numbers are down across the industry. No one's really commuting, no gyms, so people are listening less in general. So for the month of April, most shows were down, but my show was up 11%, whether it's plays and downloads, a uh, combination of both. So uh, I'm a little guppy in the industry still, but this is honestly really encouraging. So thank you again. I really can't say this enough to all of the listeners uh, and all the recent guests for sharing the podcast to everyone and everyone. I really, really do appreciate it. And don't stop doing it. Let's keep this uh, momentum going and let's do this thing and get this show even bigger than it already is. Much love to all of you. Really appreciate it. Can't say that enough. Speaking of momentum, well, this is where I get a little bummed. Uh, And that's what you call a segue in the business. Uh, So the NBA had a chat on Friday. Adam Silver spoke to Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Association, the owners, uh, about getting the NBA back up and running. And before that, there was this growing sense of optimism. I was hearing a lot about it, whether it was on uh, different podcasts that I listened to, about the plan to have this all happen, uh, the NBA season to resume in kind of like this pseudo bubbleish way. It was going to take place at the worldwide uh, leader of sports um, complex at Disney. And after Friday, it really seems that people are not on the same page, whether it's the owners and the players on various issues or the owners themselves on if on certain issues. But this lack of being on the same page, well, it's in the middle of May, I should say the early middle of May, and time's running out. Listen, I say this assuming the medical safety can be managed as best as possible, but everybody needs to understand that there is going to be no perfect solution to get the NBA and sports and and society as a whole up and running again. Nothing's going to be perfect. Nothing. So get over that and figure it the hell out. Because something is better than nothing. As for the health issue, and again, I am not an expert. I am not a medical professional. I'm not a doctor. But from everything that I've heard, the NBA players are the perfect demographic in terms of being able to take some type of risk in this regard and getting back to work. They're young and they're in shape. They are not at serious risk of getting super sick or even worse, 
deathly ill if they contract this virus. I mean, some guys have already had it and have pa and it's passed through. At some point in this society that we live in, risks are going to need to be taken to get things to back to normal. So let's as a society try to figure out how to best take those risks, who should be best taking those risks, and minimize those risks, and figure it out. Sports is a microcosm of life and society as a whole. Figure it out and don't expect perfection. Try to figure out how to say yes to things as opposed to just saying no. And again, I assuming that the science and the medicine says it's okay to do so. And now I'm going to get off my soapbox before this rant goes into things beyond sports as uh, I get a little bit more depressed and polarizing uh, and hopefully not neither of those two things. Polarizing may not be so bad sometimes. Uh, one thing to be optimistic about, and I know it's not the same sport, but UFC just had a fight this past weekend, and it went somewhat smoothly. It was a success for the most part from everything that I heard. I did not personally watch it, but hopefully the other leagues can learn a bit from the UFC and we can get things back on track sooner rather than later. Anyway, now what I'm super jazzed up about, The Last Dance... And it was just awesome. The MJ documentary that has captivated the nation. Well, the last four episodes have been off the charts good. So, so, so incredibly good. So much to talk about. A couple of quick hitting topics before I talk about Jordan and his basketball ability. The myth that is David Stern, that he suspended Michael Jordan for basically a year and a half for his gambling, has basically been put to bed. I think there is a 0% chance that David Stern would have suspended his meal ticket for that long, and no one would have known about it. So you're telling me that he did it in secrecy and it never would have leaked? I, I just can't buy that. If he did it, it would have had to come out. And good to see the video of Commissioner Stern's interviews on the documentary this past Sunday night. Rest in peace, Commissioner Stern. Also, how about the fact that Michael Jordan hit over 200 in double A ball, stole 30 bases after not playing baseball for 14 years? Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things you can do in sports. I mean, come on now. I mean, that it's really insane if you come to think about it. Anyway, uh, the Scottie Pippen game, uh, where the last play was drawn up for Tony Kukoc and not Pippen. This was in 1994 against the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference uh, semifinals. And Scottie protests and sit on the, sits on the bench for the last 1.8 seconds. Pippen was killed for that decision, and it was a bad decision in the moment, and Kukoc hits the game winner. We all saw the clip, and of course it's against the Knicks, but here was the gene. But this really showed the genius of Phil Jackson. After the game is over, and clearly the vibe is, is not good, he didn't blow up at Scotty in front of the team. He left the locker room and let the team handle it internally, and it ultimately blew over. I mean, Scotty Pippen was a top three MVP candidate in 1994. And this was the first year without Michael Jordan. He was a beloved teammate. And his indiscretion didn't change that with his teammates. And he proceeded to have a huge series against the Knicks after that happened. But he was crushed for it by the media. I found this funny and interesting that Michael Jordan called Phil Jackson to ask him why Phil didn't draw up the play for Scotty. Because to him, Scotty had earned the right to take that shot. And it wasn't fair of Phil not to call Scotty's number there. And Scotty has admitted. And he said that he wouldn't have done anything differently uh, if he had to do it over again as well. I mean, he was sorry in the moment, but he wanted that shot. It just goes to show you how competitive these guys are and how wired differently they are. And I actually sympathize with Pippen more than I thought I would. He earned that shot. 
and was crucified for, for way too long after it happened. And people held it against him forever in his entire career, and that's not really fair. Okay, so now to the star of the show, the greatest player to ever lace him up, Michael Jordan. The last four hours of the documentary, starting with episode five, uh, culminating in episode eight this past um, this past Sunday night. Well, we see the real MJ and even all of his so-called warts. But as my guy Ryan Rossillo, and I quote him all the time, said it best on Twitter, he tweeted something to the likes of, well... When am I, tell me when I'm supposed to start not liking Jordan after this. And it's spot on because after all this, I appreciate Jordan more and like him even more. How authentic he is, how unapologetic he is about the way he is, how comfortable he is in his own skin, how he was everything we want our athletes to be, everything we want in our athletes that we root for. He embodied all those qualities Hold on to that moment for a second because we're going to revisit this at the end of this monologue. Uh, there's so many things to talk about on the court and off the court, which are fascinating when it comes to Michael. But I'll start with the off the court stuff. Oh, and uh, and for the LeBron fanboys, I mean, these last four hours were a tough look for you. And you're arguing for LeBron as the greatest of all time. Well, that argument, I think, has basically been put to rest if there was ever one at all. But here we go. So... One of the big parts of the MJ story. So one of the big parts of the MJ story was his gambling habit. I touched on it a little earlier, and how when it came out that he gambled the way he did and the people he gambled with, that he had this clean persona that was now shattered. He was the face of the league. He was the the biggest pitch man in all of sports, and that persona was was gone. And the media seemed to relish the fact that they could tear him down a bit because. You know, as in society, we like to build people up than to tear them down. MJ never said once that he was anything but who he was. Yeah, Gatorade came up with that commercial, Sometimes I Dream That He Is Me Like Mike, I'd Like To Be Like Mike. But that's not MJ telling us to our faces that he's superhuman or he's perfect. He was who he was and never apologized for it. And this was super evident when uh, he came across this political scandal, per se, when uh, in 1990, the Democratic uh, Senate hope, hopeful Harvey Gantt was running against the incumbent Jesse Helms, who by all accounts was a racist and a general piece of crap. People expected Jordan to make a major statement to endorse uh, Harvey. He didn't do so, and he said, in quote, Republicans buy sneakers too. Major controversy at the time. Dr. Todd Boyd, uh, a professor at USC in the documentary, kills Jordan for it. And he wasn't the only one. I also personally think Dr. Boyd is a racist baiting idiot, but whatever, that's my own feelings. But it was totally off base his criticism of Jordan when he said the lines Republicans buy sneakers too, because that was a line he said in jest on the bus with his teammates, specifically Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. And more importantly, it didn't portray how Jordan contributed to the Gantt campaign but he always said that he didn't want to be an activist. And I quote him here. And he said, it was thrown off the cuff. My mother asked me to do a PSA for Harvey Gantt. And I said, look, mom, I'm not speaking out of pocket about something that I don't know. But I will send a contribution to support him, which is what I did. I do commend Muhammad Ali for standing up for what he believed in. But I never thought of myself as an activist. I thought of myself as a basketball player. I wasn't a politician when I was playing my sport. I was focused on my craft. Was that selfish? Probably. But that was my energy, and that's where my energy was. 
And then he continued to say that what he was going to do was never going to be enough for everybody. And there was this preconceived idea for what he can and cannot do. And there's nothing wrong with what he said. And he's right. Anything he did was not going to be enough for everyone. And he knew that. Him staying true to his roots and knowing what he knew a lot about and not going to speak politically outside his comfort zone, that's called being self-aware. Selfish, maybe, but definitely self-aware. Something that, to compare with LeBron James, has not done over his career, where he pontificates his political beliefs, says he's more than just an athlete, and yet has come off like a hypocrite multiple times, especially when it came to uh, Daryl Morey and the China situation. And I'm not getting into politics here. That's not what this is about. It's more a statement of don't pontificate about some things that you don't know a lot about, don't be a hypocrite, and that altruism isn't something that is universal and shouldn't be considered that way. Jordan was super authentic about what his focuses were at the time. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, that's fine. You're allowed to do so. But just don't be a hypocrite and be authentic. And now to the basketball part of MJ. So much good stuff. And again, you see the real MJ in these uh, last four hours, specifically in the last uh, two hours, episodes seven and eight. The guy who worked harder than anyone else, the homicidal competitiveness, the trash talker, that's the real MJ. That's him in his essence, at his core. And he's unfiltered and unapologetic about it. I mean, just a few stories. So a lot was made of his matchup with Clyde Drexler before the 92 finals. And there was a some people who were thinking that Drexler was just as good as Jordan. So what does Jordan do? Um, Jordan proceeds in game one to hit six threes in the first half and eviscerates Drexler. For the series, he averaged 35.8 points a game, almost five rebounds per game, and 6.5 assists a game. He shot over 52% from the floor in this series. His annihilation of Clyde Drexler spilled over to the Dream Team later that summer, where he destroyed Clyde so much in practice and shit-talked so much to him that it was shaking Clyde's confidence, and the other guys on the Dream Team had to tell Michael to rein it back a little bit. In the 93 Finals against the Phoenix Suns, Charles Barkley wins the MVP that season. That made Jordan mad. Jerry Krause liked Dan Marley as a prospect in the draft who played a similar position to Jordan and Pippen. That made Jordan mad. So Jordan proceeds to average, I repeat, average 41 points a game, 8.5 rebounds per game, and 6.3 assists per game, and eviscerated Dan Marley on defense. That Suns team was one of the four best defensive teams in the league. Dan Marley was an all-defensive caliber player. I think he made all-defense second team multiple times. And Jordan just destroyed him, drove to the basket at will, did whatever he wanted because Jordan hated Jerry Krause. And Jerry Krause liked Dan Marley, so then Jordan had to embarrass Dan Marley. That's the way it went. The 96 Finals, George Carl, a fellow UNC guy, snubs Michael Jordan in a restaurant. UNC guys, especially those who played uh, under Dean Smith, those guys know, are a very tight family. I mean, it's a really tight fraternity from everything I've heard, the UNC guys who's played for Game Smith. So Jordan comes out in Game 1, scores a team-high 28, 50% from the field, Bulls win Game 1, and ultimately win the series. 
And then there's that scene where Jordan in real time sees Gary Payton's interview about how Gary, quote unquote, shut Jordan down in games four and five. Jordan went for 26 points and 11 for 22 in game five. And Jordan just laughs in his face in real time. I mean, the pure disrespect of that laugh was so awesome. It was fucking ruthless. And that's who he was in his purest form. Then there's the LeBradford Smith story. Smith was a guard for the Bullets. No-name guard, didn't have a long career, but he had 37 points against the Bulls in a home game. Jordan didn't have a great game in this game. The Bulls won the game anyway. So then this that was the first night of a home-and-home back-to-back with the Washington Bullets. The next night, Jordan makes up a story that LeBradford Smith, this no-name guard, tapped him on the butt and said, nice game, Mike. And so Michael Jordan proceeded to score 37 points in the first half and totally embarrassed him and the Bullets. And Smith was out of the league in the next year. I mean, ruthless. And this wasn't in the documentary, but Kevin Garnett tells the story about Isaiah Ryder, who liked playing against Michael Jordan, and he were having monster games in 1996. KG is a rookie. Um, They're having big game against the Bulls. T-Wolves really never beat the Bulls, but they're having a big game and they have a lead. And KG starts talking a lot of junk about how Isaiah Ryder should be going at Mike. And and then Michael Jordan starts licking his lips. He gets that face on and Ryder knows exactly what's coming. And he tells Michael, Mike, don't, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just, he's just a rookie. He doesn't know how we do it, but that's too late. Jordan scores about 17 points in five minutes, a 19-2 run, as KG says, and the game is over. There was no one else like this guy. None. And somehow, Jordan was able to toe a line of being a complete maniac and homicidally competitive and a like teammate. I mean, see his relationship with Scotty Burrell, which was really a really interesting part of the last two hours. Jordan tortured and pushed him super hard in practice, that is Scotty Burrell, and talked to junk to him all practice. And yet he and Jordan were super tight. You know, Scott Burrell says that Jordan was maybe his best friend on the team. And then there's Steve Kerr, who got into a fight with Jordan at practice. Kerr shoves Jordan. Jordan hits Kerr in the face. And then after that whole thing, they talk it out. Jordan comes to respect Kerr for Kerr's fight, and they have a good relationship going forward. I mean, it's really remarkable. Whereas, again, not to harp on LeBron too much here, but LeBron calls dudes out on Instagram as opposed to talking to them face-to-face in the locker room. Another Jordan story that wasn't in the documentary. Michael Wilbon tells a story in 1993. Alonzo Mourning is having a hot rookie season at the time. He comes to Chicago to cover the game between the Hornets and the Bulls to write a story on Zoe because Will Bond was from the Washington Post at the time. Alonzo Mourning went to Georgetown, so it was still a major story for guys from the Washington Post to talk about Georgetown hoops. And Will Bond's also super close with Jordan, so he figured he can get a quote from Jordan about Alonzo Mourning in the rookie season he's having. And Jordan... As you know, going back to 82, had a natural rivalry with Georgetown since that NCAA tournament game, and whether it was with Patrick Ewing or Alonzo Mourning. And he says to Wilbon, and I paraphrase, you come all the way here to interview me about Alonzo Mourning, a Georgetown guy, 
what if he scores zero tonight? What are you going to write then? Wilbon says, what do you mean? And Jordan responds to him, what don't you understand about zero? Well, Alonzo Mourning proceeded to score only three points in the game before the game was over and Jordan was subbed out because the lead uh, for Chicago was big enough where he didn't need to play the rest of the game. But after the game, Jordan pulls Wilbon aside into a private room and tells him, quote, because he didn't want to do this in front of the rest of the media, Alonzo will be fine. He's going to be great. Don't kill him in a column over one game, especially for a rookie like that. I mean, he was able to toe this line better than anyone. It's just crazy. Another story from the documentary, actually, regarding the Charlotte Hornets. So B.J. Armstrong in the 1998 Eastern semifinals against Charlotte. It's game two after the Bulls are already up one nothing. B.J. Armstrong is having a big game, hits a, a big shot late in the fourth quarter. Charlotte wins. And after he hits that big shot, he looks over at Jordan, gives him a stare, says something, talks a little trash. B.J. knows exactly what that will do to Michael, and so do his teammates. And the Hornets knew what, were co what was coming next because they say so in the documentary. I mean, Glenn Rice is very clear about it, which is funny that B.J. did it anyway. I guess he wanted to have his moment. Well, what happens in game three? B.J. Armstrong, guarded by Michael Jordan most of the game, his stat line includes one for seven, two points, a plus-minus of minus 11. Jordan basically turned that faucet off, shut that shit down. The Bulls win four games to one. So much good stuff. I mean, but the best, the best scene of the whole documentary so far was at the end of episode seven, where Jordan is talking about him and how he would drive teammates, and how he never asked of his teammates to do anything that he wouldn't do. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, winning has a price, and leadership has a price. I pull people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't endure all the things that I endured. Once you join the team, you live at a certain standard that I played the game. And I wasn't going to take any less. Now, that means I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, and I did that. You asked all my teammates? One thing about Michael Jordan was... He never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. When people see this, they're gonna say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you. Because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Like, I don't mind to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. Winning has a price, he said. So well said. And he chokes up doing so because he can't turn that button off. That ultra competitiveness, it's always there. And all of us who have never won anything like he has can't understand it. And that he may be a tyrant, but winning has a price. 
And the fact that he's so passionate about it and brings him to tears was honestly crazy inspiring. I was so jacked up about it. I mean, I was ready to do a full workout at 10 p.m. in the evening because this is a man who never took a night off, never cheated the game, always gave 110%. And that's where we as sports fans, what do we want from guys we root for? Above all else, yeah, we want them to be good ambassadors of the game. Yeah, we want them to be generally good guys or stay out of trouble. But more than anything else, all we want is that they always give a shit because we as fans give a shit. And at least for me, I'd like to think that if I had those God-given talents, those amazing God-given gifts, that I would always play 110% and give a crap and bust my ass off to play. Hell, I can't stand playing my younger brother one-on-one. -on -one and, and if I lose, it eats me to no end. And I'm just a Jewish 5'11 kid with a decent jump shot who practiced with a D3 basketball team for a couple of months once upon a time. And multiply that hatred and that competitiveness by about 10,000. And that's what we're dealing with here. For the love in the game, indeed. I mean, Michael Jordan played 82 games. All 82 games each year from 96 through 98. Never, ever mailed it in. Whereas LeBron, and again, only because people like to do this on Twitter and I like to shut them down, has openly mailed in regular season games and took two weeks off in the middle of a season to go to Miami when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers during the regular season. And I don't mean to trash LeBron to build up Jordan. Both of those guys are great. That's not what this is about. But in life, there's a pecking order. And that pecking order is important. One guy has to be first, and that was Jordan. LeBron can compile all the stats he wants, but those who watch the games live through it and know what they watched, know who the best is. And that's MJ. The last thing I'll say about this that really illustrates this point. Episode 5 started out with the scene in the 1998 NBA All-Star Game. Uh, the famous Kobe-MJ showdown in Madison Square Garden. It was Kobe's first All-Star Game, MJ's last as a Chicago Bull. And there's that scene in the East Locker Room behind the scenes and how much reverence the rest of the Eastern All-Stars had for MJ, the respect that they had for him. And these guys are some of the best players in the world at the time with giant egos, and rightfully so, who are also super competitive. And they revere him. The way they speak to him in the locker room, they revere him. Players today don't revere LeBron James that way. They think he's great, and he is. They respect his game tremendously, but it's not even in the same league. And this goes out to the LeBron fanboys, as I mentioned earlier in this monologue. Whether you're in the media, shout out Nick Wright, or it's just some goofies on Twitter, the case is closed. For reasons on the court and off the court, there is one greatest player of all time, one guy who stands above all the rest, is just a notch above everybody else, and that's Michael Jordan. And I can't wait, obviously. I look forward to this every Sunday night when this is over. I don't know what my sports fix is going to be, but I'm going to need something. And I just wish, I wish there was great footage. It was small clips of the 
famous pickup games on the set of Space Jam when Jordan was training in that offseason where they would play for two hours, lift weights. He would shoot the movie. I mean, the guy never slept. He was just a freak of nature. But if we're not going to have live sports by the time this is done, soon afterwards, we need to release the tapes of those pickup games. I would watch that for hours upon hours upon hours. All right, so anyway... Now to get into uh, my guests, we're going to call them up in a second. We're going to do part two of the all-time NBA draft in just a couple of moments. Okay, so I teased it a little bit before. Part one of the all-time NBA draft uh, with my buddies Rob Carpellis, Josh Freeman. Right now I've got Rob Carpellis on the line. Josh is coming in a little bit. Rob, what's happening, man? How you survive in quarantine? I'm good, man. I'm good. I miss, I miss some pickup ball. But other than that, um, I'm staying safe. Oh, my God. I, I, I miss my bucket Wednesdays in the worst way. I would give anything to be able to run fives right now, especially yeah. after watching the Jordan documentary last night, which was awesome. Um, before we get Josh on, he's going to come on in a second. Uh, I wanted to get – obviously, you're one of the biggest Kobe fans I know. I wanted to get your take on, uh, on on what your thoughts were of the Kobe cameo appearance in The Last Dance before we get into the all-time draft. What were your emotions? Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked it, of course. Um, I thought that bit with um, the Eastern Conference All-Stars, like, just sort of, you know, making – giving a little, like, dig at Kobe. Like, the you know, they called him, like, the, the quote-unquote Laker, Laker boy. Um I thought that was that was interesting that like you know a 19 year old or I think that's how old he was at the time was like the uh, you know topic of conversation in the Eastern Conference locker room before the game. I thought that was awesome because uh, remember Kobe actually didn't even um, he didn't even start for the Lakers that year. So he um, he was but he was a starter. He was voted as a starter on that uh, on that All Star team for the West. So he wasn't even a starter for the Lakers, but still I remember like as um as a fan i was maybe like i think i was like 13 years old for that game and it was interesting because even beforehand i remember there was a lot of kobe versus jordan talk um before the game that was like the big matchup that everybody wanted to watch so um it was cool seeing that perspective from like the play it wasn't just like a media driven type of hype um old guard versus the new guard it was um, it was something like that was on the player's mind too. So that one little bit was cool. Um, it's obviously bittersweet with you know when you see Kobe being interviewed um, probably right a few months before he he passed away. It's always it's obviously a little bit um, it's it's very sad, um, but it's obviously cool too seeing you know sort of some un un unwatched or you know hidden underground moments, um, especially with him and Jordan. The other thing that I'll add to real quick is that I, I wish they, um, I know it's a Bulls focused documentary, but I wish they would have went into um, the game a little bit more. Like it was that Jordan and Kobe really went back and forth that game. And Jordan had the slight edge, I think going into the fourth, like his team was winning and he was playing a, a, a tad of a better game. Although Kobe was right there with him. And then, Kobe was benched the entire fourth by George Carl inexplicably for some reason. Um, but I, I did wish that, again, I know it's a Bulls-focused documentary, but I thought they could have focused on just sort of like that back and forth a little bit. Um, and maybe, you know, it was Kobe's appearance on the show was, um, you know, he had one sound bite, I think, and it was 
it was pretty short. Like there was a lot of hype going into it. And then you start watching and you're like, oh, that's it. Um, but of course, you know, that's, that's what you get sometimes. Well, it's funny you say that because he referenced that in the podcast with Quentin Richardson, and Darius Miles, um, the knuckleheads, that he held a grudge against George Carl. And he was like, George Carl's never going to beat me in a playoff series ever again because of that game. And lo and behold, George Carl never beat Kobe Bryant in a playoff series ever again. And he got, I mean, they got close in 2009 with Denver, but never again. But yeah, the, the two things I took away besides for the, I, what I mentioned earlier was just the reverence that those Eastern All-Stars had for Jordan. Just the way they conversed with him, the way they interacted with him, the way they were just in awe of him. That was so different from anything else in history was the fact that they knew that this, that Kobe was coming, that they knew that this guy was next. And like the great ones can always tell as as we've said offline, the great ones always know when the next guy is here. Definitely. And yeah, I, I just thought that was, that was awesome. All right. So now we're just trying to get Josh on the line so we can do this draft. Um, I think we got him. Hey, hey guys. Hey Josh, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? We just talked a little bit about Kobe cameo appearance in the last uh, in the last dance. Um, but let's pick up where we left off last time. Pick thirty-one of the all-time NBA draft. It was exceedingly well received. Everybody who's listened to it has loved it. Uh, the the downloads and and um, and listens have been up. So let's start off with uh, pick 31. It'll go just like last time, myself, then Josh, then Rob. And uh, let's bang this one out. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's hard, it's hard to follow up after Rob's Lamar Odom pick at 30, but here I go. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In the first pick of the second round of the all-time NBA draft, at 31, I select Isaiah Thomas. Zeke. Probably should have gone round one. Uh, I know he is not a very liked guy. I personally, as a Knicks fan, do not have any positive feelings towards Isaiah Thomas. But the fact of the matter is, is that guy was a gamer. And he was awesome. And probably the best pure point guard of his era. And if you need any reminder, go back to 1988, where they're playing the Lakers in the finals. He sprains his ankle and still drops 25 points in the third quarter, and he can't even walk. I, I know he's caught a lot of shit for some of the stuff the bad boys did, especially in 1991. It caused him to not be on the dream team. He was hated by a lot of guys. But it should not discredit what he was as a player in his career. So 31, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I think he's certainly deserving. I mean... Uh... He's averaging yeah, twenty no, and ten. No argument for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of only three people to ever average twenty and twelve in a season. He he averaged twenty and ten more times than Magic. Uh, certainly deserving. He probably dropped a little bit because of his uh, ability to shoot the three, but guys like that, and I think this was an oversight on our part. Uh, he'd figure out how to shoot the three. So with that said, Josh, thirty-two. Who you got? Um. I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people because I don't, I don't think my, my pick gets a lot of love. Um, but I'm going to go – I'm going to take uh, Dominique at number 32. Ooh. Um, uh, 
Uh, a nine-time All-Star, a seven-time All-NBA, um, playing it during extremely competitive. I mean, he had a lot of uh, uh, All-Stars in front of him. Um, I mean, he was playing with guys who were basically in our first round of picks his whole career. Uh, five times he was a top ten in MVP voting, um, and he actually shot the three at 32%, which I would, you know, I would assume if they'd uh, given a little more focus to it, he'd be up at the high 30s. So I'm going to go with Neek. You know what? It's hard. It's hard to argue any of these guys. I don't even. I'm looking at my big board, and I didn't even. I can't believe I didn't have him in my uh, my next thirty. But yeah, he he deserves to be there. That that's no question about that one. Dominique Wilkins, thirty two. Can't hate it. Rob, who you got at thirty three? I'm going with a two time MVP winner, and one of the greatest point cards of all time, and Steve Nash. He was picked in the first round. Was he? Yes. Who has him? He was. I, I know for a fact he was picked in the in the first round. So yeah, so, I have him in the first round. I'm looking. Next up mistake. on the big board. Next up on. It's okay. all good. Okay. Okay, that's okay. I'll go down my list. No problem. Uh, this one is not Aaron Tobin has his favorite player. Um, but I think, mind you, he he probably gets a bad knack for not delivering um, in the playoffs. Despite that, um, his numbers might go up as some of the best all time. And I still think he's a tremendous basketball player as James Harden. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's a wow because you guys probably don't like him personally, or you think that he's um, overrated or maybe some of the comparisons he's like Kobe or or some of the other grades you think are just misplaced, but at the same time, um, I mean, there's no doubting the fact that you know he's as talented as you know maybe a top ten or fifteen player ever. The Carl Malone of shooting yeah, no, guards. Josh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 that's okay. I mean, he's yeah, he's he's got all the talent in the world. Um, you know. I think I just hold, you know, his, his, his playoff struggles against him. Um, just seen times where it sort of seems like he doesn't believe that he can get over the hump. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought, you know, thinking of the Jordan doc, that was like the most inspiring thing out of Jordan is that like, he just had like the full utmost confidence in himself all the time, every time. And James didn't, didn't do that for me. Listen, at this point, I think there's a lot of personal preference that goes into a lot of these picks. Yes. He's definitely one of the most talented offensive players we've ever seen. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one thing, though. So I looked up some of his, like, um, his post, you know, his quote-unquote postseason failures, and he had better numbers, okay, him being James Harden, had better numbers than the Warriors did, okay, in the second round last year of the playoffs than Kawhi Leonard had against the Warriors in the finals. And everybody looks at Kawhi as a guy who carried his team against the Warriors in the finals, but Harden is a guy who choked. So sometimes it's, it's narrative. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to like. I mean, I think the Harden, I think, Harden. I think Kawhi gets that because Kawhi plays both sides of the ball. I mean, Kawhi's not your best. Fair enough. Fair enough. Comparison there. Yeah. He, okay, I mean, fair enough. But my point is, is like, I don't know where the whole, I think maybe because he hasn't won yet. Um, he might get, yeah. you know, the knock Let's for not, Chris, you know, like performing in the playoffs. But I think he's still Chris, Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in game player. six. 
if if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in Game Six against the Warriors, you know, we could be talking about a Rockets championship and a whole different. That's what I'm saying. Time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And who's played the Rockets okay. better? I mean, who's played the Warriors better than than James Harden? I mean, not right. Maybe LeBron, but. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, the whole he's choked or this or that in the playoffs. Like, I, I you know, don't know exactly how true that is yet. I just – James Harden to me is the perfect case of, like, the eye test versus, like, what the numbers say, right? It's like analytics versus the eye test. And I just – there was there was that game. I think it was 2018, and and Durant had already gotten hurt, and he was he was out, and like the Warriors were super vulnerable, right? It was in Houston, and Curry's having an awful game. He goes scoreless in the in the first half, and then the second half, he scores 33 points, and they win the game when they were, you know, at that point not underdogs, but basically they were ready to be had. And at a certain point, if you're the guy, you need to rise up and win games like that. And he just hasn't done it yet. So, and I just don't think he's he's ever going to be motivated enough in the offseason to to be as great as his numbers suggest. So, uh, Josh, where did you have him on your big board? I'm just curious. Um, it's funny. I had I had like Harden, Iverson, and Westbrook all like mid 40s. So did I. I had him at 42. I sort of grouped those three together as similar type players. I think that's, that's just too low. I'm, I'm not the biggest Harden guy. I just I think if you take a second, just from a pure talent perspective and, and his numbers, I mean, it's just I think yeah. a top 40 player for him is low. I think it's low. No, I, 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 I really liked the way Aaron put it. Um, you know, I think he's, for me, I kind of agree he's, He's just missing that that magical that magical playoff moment, and I've seen that magical moment in the in the regular season. I, I've seen him, you know, I've watched Laker games against him where it just seems like he is unstoppable, and there are there just seem to be times where even though his numbers may be good, uh, he didn't pull it for didn't pull through for his team. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, what was that? What was it? Twenty seven missed threes for their team. I mean, if, if you're going to, I don't know. It just, you have to make your presence. Yeah, it seems like his presence gets lost. Yeah. I, I just, he's the Carmel, he's the Carmelone of shooting guards. And it's funny, Rob, because you picked Carmelone in the first round. So now you got, you got the two guys <laughs> together. It's great. Right. All right. So at number, at number 34, I've got Patrick Ewing. I like Patrick, Homer. Homer. Patrick Ewing gets a bad rap. Bill Simmons has made his part of his, you know, fame and fortune on this nonsense Ewing theory. And it's just, it's just bogus. All right. There's a stat that I shared with you guys. There's this stat. I'm pulling it up right now as we speak about Patrick Ewing and his career with the Knicks. Um, if you just give me one second. So from 1988 through 2000, Patrick Ewing went 583 and 369. The only Eastern Conference team with a better record was the Bulls. And since then, they've gone 643 and 965. All right? So don't tell me Patrick Ewing wasn't great. Patrick Ewing had the worst, the worst supporting cast of any other great player. The worst. 
He never had a he never had a great point guard, or not even a good point guard. He never played with an all-star caliber player or anybody who was ever even gonna sniff the Hall of Fame. And the New York media bagged on him worse than anybody. And I'm standing up for my man Patrick Ewan. 34. So I, I, I have a I think it's a I think it's a it's a great pick. I think the theory that I have is that um it's difficult, you know, in the moment, in the 90s, if you're like, you know, the best player for the Knicks, <clears throat> you're leading them into playoff runs consistent years, and you're one of the better players in the league. During the time period, I remember, like, even as a kid, Patrick Ewing was always, you know, like, he was, he was, he was always a big name. I think now when we look back, it's hard for him to stick out because there were so many other great centers during that time. Um, and may, and for some reason, <clears throat> Patrick Ewing has taken a backseat to the conversation versus guys like maybe you know Akeem Olajuwon um, or David Robertson or just so, or or just the thought of like there were so many other centers then, so it's hard for one of them necessarily to still be remembered as um, you well, know, an all-time great player. I mean, all all those centers have a title. Hakeem, Robinson, that's a good Jack, point. They've got a title, and and Ewing doesn't, and that's. That's the biggest sticking point. Now, that's a great point. Even and, even if it's unfair, I think you're right, Josh. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. And now I just got sad all over again, so thank you very much for that. But I'm standing up for my man Patrick Ewing at 34. Josh, you got at 35. Uh, I'm going to take the glove, Mr. Gary Payton. Ooh. Uh, you know, uh, I think the talent's <sighs> undeniable. The attitude is undeniable. Um, nine-time All-NBA defense, nine-time All-Defensively. Um, yeah. I, I, think he's, I think he's a great combo of being able to score, being able to facilitate, and being able to play D. Uh, I, think he'd be, I think he'd be phenomenal in the NBA. You know? can't, can't hate it. The fact that he won a Defensive Player of the Year award being a guard, like that never happens. Just goes to show you. That yeah, I think awesome. the one thing I'd say is like I I like him as a I don't I didn't love him as a shooter unless I'm wrong on the numbers, but I think he um like who does he I think if you're in the in the in the in the like nineties era with a lot of good or even in the early two thousands when you have a lot of good point guards, I think Gary Payton is a great asset. Now it's right, like I don't know how much you would need a guy like him versus maybe a few other players that are still on the board, but it's, it's a good pick. I just, maybe a little early, I would, I would argue. You know, I, I just think about, you know, oh, I'm focusing on guys that I think are going to bring my team wins and he's putting up 20 points a game and he's a nine time all de- all defensive player. Um, I'll take that any day. Hard to argue. Okay. Rob, who, who you got okay. at 36? Uh, I have um, Clyde the Glide Drexler, and interesting. Okay, cer- certainly, um, like the MJ documentary probably made me, you know, like have him higher on my board. But there was, um, dude, like I-, I was actually reading some stories about Clyde Drexler. He was um, the kind of guy. He didn't necessarily have like an MJ type of work ethic. But he was such a good athlete that he could just, like, he's one of those guys that, like, doesn't need the way that the article is describing him. Like, he doesn't need to stretch, doesn't need to have, like, worked on his game the last few weeks, could just come in and, like, rip a gym up. Um, and then I went and looked at some of his numbers, 
he had a five-year run, I think, from like the late 80s through the early 90s where he had um, almost 25 points a game, nearly seven rebounds, six and a half assists uh, with two and a half steals. Like that's, that's, that's a monster, monster numbers. And I think that um, while, yes, he wasn't close to Michael Jordan, not a lot of people are, um, but I, I, I did read in the same piece that some of the those comparisons were legit. Like Clyde Drexler was um, a heck of a player. He did lead the Trailblazers to back-to-back NBA Finals appearances. Uh, I think he goes, I don't know if he's just, he's quiet or whatever it is, but I remember in the early 90s too, when he went to the Rockets, it was like, that was a big deal. Like, is he good, you know, is he going to, he was like a, a, a waning superstar where you were like, is he going to finally win a title? Um, and for some reason, Clyde gets, um, you know, overlooked. He wasn't a great three-point shooter. Really, okay. really struggled from the three-point line. I mean, I, I don't, Josh, I don't know where you had him. I, uh, I actually, I probably had him a little too low. Uh, I had him at 55 on my board. I, I just, yeah, I, probably a little too low. I just, not a great shooter. And I guess I was scared off by the, by the MJ story that if you look, so I have his basketball reference page up right now. In 91-92, the year they went to the finals, by the way, Rob, just to correct you slightly, they went to the finals in 90 and 92 because the Lakers went in 91, your Lakers. Um, Clyde averaged in in 92, 25 a game. He shot, his effective field goal percentage was uh, almost 51%. Uh, Six and a half rebounds, a little over six and a half assists. A really nice season, and he even shot close to 34% from three that year. Uh, Big-time numbers. And then it, there was that narrative of, of the Jordan comparison, and Jordan proceeded to eviscerate him in the finals. And then the next right. year, listen to these numbers in 93. Just under 20 points a game, effective field goal percentage of not even 45%. He shot 23% from three. Right, but that's in the weight. That's like at the end of his career. That's not one of his best. He's only, he's only, he's only 30 years old. And uh, it just like, they say that the, that like Jordan basically rode him into the ground at the Olympics also. And that his other, yeah. the other teammates like had to, uh, had to like tell Jordan to ease up a little bit because of the trash talk. But like, it's just weird. I mean, a guy that talented. Because from 88 but, to 92, he was averaging over 24 points a game. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, is the narrative of what Jordan did to him, you know, is that what stands out in people's minds, causing them to rank him a lot lower versus how good he was? Because like, like I mentioned, it, was, it, it wasn't a legitimate argument between Jordan and Drexler, but Drexler was um, – he was in, in the conversation is, is at that time, like, is he one of the best in the game right now? And I think that surprises a lot of people. And then you look at his numbers and you look at highlights and he was, um, he was a beast. That should definitely count for something. Um, yeah, no, I just, I had him low. I don't know about you, Josh. I had him low because of the, the three point shooting and that he was a lackadaisical defender for a guy, his size with his athletic gifts. Yeah, I actually had him originally. I actually had him in, in my top thirty. I think. Oh wow! I think he's a really talented guy. Yeah, I do. Um, I I think he gets 
I think, like, similar to Rob, I think he gets overshadowed a lot because of Jordan and because of the 92 finals. Um, and I think that if not for Jordan, it would have played out very different, di- differently. Um, certainly seems like he could have used a lot in the, you know, mental strengthening area. Um, but from a talent perspective, I think the guy could do everything. You know, a little knock on his shooting, but, you know, the end of, end of his career, he shot, let's see, in 95, he shot 36. Um, and 30, yeah, 36% in the year before, start, you know, so he, it wasn't like he couldn't get there. 97, he shot 35%. You know, I try, you know, that's true. It, You're right. really the shooting ability. I, I feel like they would have focused in on it more um, come to 2020. Definitely fair. But the next guy I'm going to take at 37 has no issues with that. And I actually just flip flopped him on my big board. I'm taking Clay Thompson here. Oh. <laughs> Clay Thompson in today's NBA is everything you want out of a shooting guard. He can play on any team. He doesn't need to dribble the ball. He doesn't need to dominate the ball. I've seen him single-handedly win a game on the road in the playoffs. Excellent defender. Unselfish guy. He's not a showy guy in the media. I'm taking Clay Thompson. Hard to argue, you know, a guy who, you, you know, you can trust in the playoffs, trust in the finals, you know, give him a ball to make a big shot. It's, a, it's a, you know, qu- quite a solid pick at this point. My, my, I, my love, biggest thing I love with Clay. I, I would just say my, my biggest pick with Clay was, you know, can he, can he carry it? Can he carry a team as a number one? Um, so that's probably why I wouldn't take him so high right here, but you know, Shooting ability, that's, a, that's quite a commodity today. So the only – I like the pick. The only thing I'd say with Clay Thompson as <clears throat> as an all-time, you know, top 35, right, is where, he's, where we sort of have him at right now, all-time player, is like just from – I don't have any analytics to back this up, but just from the eye test, I've always seen Clay as like he's either on fire – and he's going to destroy you that night because he can't miss, kind of like that that game six um, against the Thunder. Um, or he's he's cold. And I remember in the Olympics um, in, in 2016. Terrible. He, he shot the ball player, terribly. Like, yeah, and then he had a couple games where he was just like lights out. And again, it's the Olympics, different dynamic and all that. But similar to Josh's point, I wonder um, – because I think he can create. I think it's how consistent – like, the, the best players are able to put the ball on the floor and also get in the lane and then get other guys, you know, available for shots. So it's a little bit of how much has he benefited from, you know, being with the Warriors and Steph and all that versus, like, Josh's point, can he consistently do it, you know, on his own every single night? I would love to see Clay. um on a team that revolves around him and see how, you know, how great he'd be. He, he, he'd be awesome. Um, but would he be like a top five, six player in the league? Um, that would be, it'd be, it'd be cool to see that. Josh, before you get to I mean, 38. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to use, you know, it, it, it would be really good to see him as a number one. And I'm assuming these numbers would probably go up, but um, he's never averaged more than, Three and a half free throws per game for a season, never in his career. That's a great. That's a great stat. He, you know, he, he's your classic Rip Hamilton spot up shooter. You know, offense can work around him, 
but like something that let's say Reggie did that Clay doesn't do, and, and Clay was a much better def- is a much better defender than Reggie. But Reggie would sort of still create and get to the line, and 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 you know um, Clay just doesn't do that. Now it could be playing without Steph. You you know he would have to do that, and right now he doesn't have to. But at least currently, there isn't as much evidence that he has that in him to be elite at that level. Before we go on to your next pick, Josh, uh, in 2017-2018, can you guys guess what Clay Thompson shot from three? 2017-2018? Yeah. I'll say 45. 44% from three. 44%. You guys are close. That is absurd. Yeah, absurd. Absurd. All right, Josh, who you got next up? Pick 38. Aaron, he actually, Aaron, he actually did it in 2014-15 also. He was at yeah, 20%. I know. Crazy. Crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, I at, what am I at, 38? Um, yep. I am going to, uh, even, though, even though I can't say I love his, uh, his demeanor, um, I'm going to go small guard, point guard again. I'm going to say Chris Paul at 38. That's the guy who I just flip-flopped. Funny you say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, you know, someone who can shoot, facilitate, again, a nine-time all-defensive player, seven-time first-team all-defense. Um, you know, he certainly got his knocks on him coming through in the clutch and definitely durability at the end of his career. Uh, but in terms of a talent, a motivation, a, 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 a winner, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Chris. Rob, what say you? I, I, you know, it's funny because I'm actually going to flip what I said before. I, I think Chris Paul is one of those guys. Like, there's some players who haven't won big, like Ewing or Barkley. When I say big, like have won at all, that you're sort of like it's not really their fault. Like Aaron, you, you mentioned, you know, with Ewing not um, having a, enough talent around him. So those guys, there are some guys who like haven't won at all, but you can't really give them a knock. Whereas I think Chris Paul has actually had the talent that. He, he should have won it all or at least gotten there like to the finals at some point. And I think because of that, like my brother and I always used to say like Chris Paul's not a guy. He's not, he's a superstar, but he's not a superstar that you could say, yeah, I could see him winning it all. Like we always thought he's just not good enough to win it all. And I think it's interesting that he's of like what, what most people consider the top point cards, five or six ever. He's fallen last on that list with Ash Stockton you know, Magic, et cetera, of all, we've all, Jason Kidd, Gary Payton, we've all picked before him. Um, but his numbers are as good, if not better, than some of those guys. So I, I think Chris Paul is, yes, unbelievably talented. He's as true as, <clears throat> as true point guard as you can, you can make cook up in a lab. But at the same time, I think um, him not winning a big game, or at least going, not a big game, but, but, but going at least to the finals, at least a couple of times, especially with some of those Clippers teams, I think to me is, is a knock on him overall as a capable superstar of winning a title. I, I would just, oh, yeah. I, I, I would Josh. just argue back. I, I was just to argue back, and, and I and I, I was, you know, I'm from LA, so I certainly watched the Clippers. I mean, can we name more than three guys on those teams? Paul Griffin and Jordan. Can we name anybody else? And Tom Reddick, Matt Reddick, yeah. Matt Barnes, Jamal no, Crawford. That was a yeah, that I was mean, you could say game. no. You could say you could say Redick. I, I hear you saying Redick. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure that. I think time has sort of shown that that team was not. I don't know. I I wouldn't hold that team against Paul. I certainly think that he's gotten attitude issues, and I don't know if he's the greatest teammate. 
you know, as you look back on it and where those guys have gone with their careers, um, I'm, I'm not sure that he was at fault for a lot of that. But So I've done a little bit of a 180 on Chris Paul. Um, I loved him early on in, when he was with New Orleans and Charlotte. Uh, I hated the way the Clippers thing ended. There was a lot of him flopping and bitching. I mean, he, he was brutal in that 2014 series against Oklahoma City. I mean, just, just throwing games away. Um, I hated him with the Rockets because everything that I hated about him with the Clippers was magnified with the Rockets because that's what they do. They flop and they bitch. Um, I absolutely loved watching him this season before the season was paused and maybe, um, you know, gone forever. But Chris Paul this season with Oklahoma City was awesome to watch. Awesome to yeah, watch. And I know we didn't have the yeah. numbers. It was only 17 and 7, but it was everything. And he statistically was the most clutch player in the league in terms of fourth quarter scoring. He took a team that was supposed to be in the lottery and they were going to be a fifth seed and a dangerous fifth seed. I'm back. I, I, I'm back on Chris Paul at least this year. Uh, Rob, I think if I think if uh, I think if David Stern lets that trade go through, I think we're having a different different conversation about Chris Paul. Yeah, then I'd have him like top five. Because <laughs> 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 of course, yeah, of course obviously. Yeah. This is this is a yeah. biased podcast that we don't try and hide. Yeah, yeah. very much. Very I didn't much pick. So. I didn't very pick. Much. I didn't pick Lamar Odom top thirty for nothing. So. <laughs> Rob, who you got at thirty nine? Okay, so this guy I love. Um, it makes it, it, I'll admit it's a little early, and I think injuries sort of hurt uh, his. If you look at his overall stats, you're kind of like, eh. But um, again, I think I think some injuries, and I think that he was just on a stacked team. Um, but I think in today, you know, I love big guys that can run the floor, and I think in today's league, he would be dynamite. Um, I'm going with James, big game, James Worthy. Wow, I didn't even have wow. him in my top six. I yeah, that's, I mean, look at so so. This is one game, obviously, but it's a game. It's the best, It's the greatest game seven in finals NBA finals history. It's thirty six points, nineteen eighty eight against the Pistons. Thirty six points, fifteen of twenty two shooting, sixteen rebounds, ten assists. When and he was the MVP of that series. So, I think when and of course it's one game, but when he was on um, for those Lakers teams, like just Google some you know or YouTube, sorry, some like Lakers James Worthy highlights. He was. It's, I'm trying to think of like who his player comparison would be today, um, but like just a pure athlete, amazing creativity around the rim, can run the floor like none other, finish like none other, play both sides, super big athlete, uh, you know, great athlete, height, strength, the whole the whole entire thing. Again, his his overall career numbers, especially with injury injuries, not so great. But I think when he was on, um, he's a top. 40, 45 player ever for sure. And I think in today's league, he'd be, he'd be a really good star for sure. Well, he was very durable. I mean, he played over 75 games every single year of his career, except for one. Um, I mean, maybe he played through injury that I don't know. Not a three point. Yeah, no, no, no. He played, he played, but he was always hurt, especially in the, in the, in the later part of his career too. Um, he only played. Yeah, I mean, it certainly years, seems like it. He, you know. He, yeah, he he right. He stopped, He retired at thirty-two. So. Yeah. Not a yeah, three-point shooter. He was shoot. always hurt. Not a three-point shooter. To me, no. Yeah, I would say not a good three-point shooter. And I don't. I mean, at least by the numbers, I don't know if he was the greatest rebounder either. 
I um uh, he averaged about five rebounds a game for his career. Yeah. So again, I but I think some of these overall stats. Rob are, likes his Lakers. Rob likes his Lakers. I like his like I, yeah, but but James Worthy is just <laughs> I don't know. I think he's criminally he, underrated. I, to, that's my theme of the night: underrated guys. To me, he was the guy <laughs> at, of that era who benefited the most for the team he was drafted on. Because I don't think if he's on the Clippers or if he's on the Hawks that he's nearly as good. He found the perfect team, and you know what? It it enhanced his career a bunch. Uh, at pick number 40, I'm going to go with uh, another guy who currently plays in L.A. right now, uh, Paul George. Oi. Paul George. I don't Two, Two-way wing. I don't... Six nine, I mean, you see what he could, what he's done when he's healthy the last couple of years. Last year, he's a top three MVP candidate. Can shoot the three well. Can defend. It's today's NBA. You know what it's going to look like. Yeah, there's a little bit of him floating in and out of games. A little too much for my liking. I'm going with Paul George. I'll, I'll let Josh take this one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think he's a talented guy. Uh, you know, at this point, I- I'm still looking for guys who I think are going to carry teams um, to, you know, 45, 50, 55 victories. He certainly showed he could do that somewhat for the for the um, for the uh, for the Pacers uh, in the East when he was there, uh, and they had some good series against against LeBron. Um, certainly, when you know against LeBron on the Heat, um, you know. You know, does he does he does he have to does he have it to come through in the clutch when we need him most? I guess that still remains to be seen. That that OKC year did not did not reflect great for him, especially that playoff exit. Um, you know, time time will still tell, but you know he certainly he's got the talent, can facilitate, can rebound, um, can shoot. He plays defense. You know, from a talent perspective, uh, I, I think the pick is defensible for sure. I'll admit, playoff P, that name is terrible. But I, I just – he's he's a tremendous player. Yeah, you know, I think at this point we're, we're you know, all these guys have a ton of talent, um, and it, it comes down to a little bit of personal preference um, on a lot of these picks at this point. I think the first 30 were kind of like, you know, everybody could see the numbers and everyone would sort of be on board. Here it then comes down to a lot of personal preference. I, this, I personally had a – This one's uh, definitely going to – this one's going to get – this round is going to be interesting. We've already seen some wows. It's going to get interesting. And that's why uh, that's why I was excited to do this. We had to do it. All right, Josh, 41. Um, so I'm going to stick with my theme of uh, short guards uh, that lead to victories. Um, I'm going to take a guy who's only played about six, seven years. He's a, he's a four-time All-NBA player already. And uh, I just like guys who come through in the clutch. And he's got two series winning buzzer beaters not not two buzzer beaters in the playoffs two series winning buzzer beaters i'm gonna take my man damian lillard i like it i like it yeah i i like it because he's underrated (laughs) so underrated so underrated Um, he's awesome yeah i don't have any i don't i don't think i i i I like the pick. I'm okay with it. A okay with it. So with that Speaking. with that said, who's at forty two, Rob? Who you got? Um sticking with my underrated theme, 
um, a guy who could do it all inside and take you outside. Um, probably the best moves, um, maybe other than Akeem Olajuwon, like post moves. Um, and I think a real star in the 1980s that will go great with my Larry Bird pick. So I'm going with Kevin McHale. Ooh. Okay. I don't hate it. Criminally underrated. Criminally underrated. Yeah. Josh, you where know? did you have him on your big board? Uh, I had Kevin at 54. I had him at 50, but I he's, I mean, a great array of post moves. So with that, that theme, I'm going to go big here. I'm going to take Joel Embiid. I'm sorry, you're cutting off. Did you say Joel Embiid? I'm going to take Joel Embiid here at 43. Listen, I don't if, know. If, if, Pen, if Penny Hardaway – actually, no, Tell I'm sorry. Jo- Wait, when was he drafted? He was drafted 2014, no, he's good. He's, 2015. He's eligible. He's eligible. He's eligible. I'll sell you on it. If we're taking Penny Hard away for his upside um, and the injury history and we're putting that all null and void, I think I could take Joel Embiid because he's the the closest thing we've seen to Akeem Olajuwon in today's modern-day player. He is tremendously talented offensively. He's one of the three best defensive players in basketball. Yeah, he's a little kooky, but... The talent there, if you can just get him, you know, to be the best of himself, I mean, he, his his talent is off the charts. I mean, the numbers are staggering. The numbers are staggering. When he's played over uh, 60, 60 games, I mean, it, it's just he's he's awesome. Joel Embiid. Yeah, you know, he reminds me of uh, of Shaq where, you know, Orlando drafted Shaq, and he just, like, immediately made them contenders. And B just affects the game every time he's in the game all the time. Um, no, I think, it's a good, I think it's a great pick. Great pick. Yeah, I think we got to – it's more con- – the consistency thing is for me, you know? I hear that. I hear yeah, that. Like, I, I, I mean, yes, potential is there, but um, – you know, it's like it's body of work. I think is part of it too. But I think fair, it's, I think it's early. Fair criticism. He's only played in four seasons, Rob. That's what. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I haven't seen enough from him consistently where I would pick him as like a top. I don't think he's like. But I, yeah, but I don't I, think he's a top 50, I, 60 guy seen, in the league. But I've seen all him, time. I've seen him taking. I've seen him take his team to the playoffs for three years, or you know, would have been this year. You know, meaning like yeah, you're right, but it's the East and the Sixers, and but yeah, he took the you know he take the worst team in the league. They you know, and B finally gets healthy, and they're in the they lose to the the Celtics in the playoffs. I mean, the impact is is is, is incredible. Yeah. Okay. All right. I listen. I like. I live for um, shockers. You know. All right, Josh. Who you got in store for us next? Um, I just can't delay taking this guy anymore. Um, you know, when it, we can call him a stretch four. I don't care. I'll even play him at the five. The guy just won too many basketball games to, to disrespect him anymore. I'm going to take Dr. Julius Irving at 44. Probably went too low. I, I, I had him next on my list, 
And I even, when I was looking at it now, I'm like, I don't know how he's gotten this. Like Julius Serving was like the guy in the 80s or 90s, early 90s. That everyone was like, yeah, you know, I patented my game after Dr. J. You know, it's like every superstar was like, yeah, I want it to be like Dr. J. From you know like, what? It, you know, like Matt, it's crazy that he's gone this low. You know what it was? No, I think his his lack of shooting is yeah, tears people that's it. off. I get it for sure. Um, you know, he he'd have to have a different style of game um, in the current NBA. But you know, you you team him with a point guard and you get out on the fast break, and it's it's two points. It, it's two points. Yeah, I mean, I had him at 40th. I, I had him at 40th, and he's, uh, I mean, he's my dad's all-time favorite player. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers the numbers are crazy. It's just he couldn't shoot outside of 10 feet. And where is that in today's NBA? That That's why he was this low. Yeah. You know, yeah, you'd have, you know, you'd have to be in a pick and roll. Um, you know, you certainly see guys in the NBA – who are still effective, even though they can't shoot. Let's just, we'll pick Ben Simmons, uh, you know. Uh, um, so, he, you know, he probably wouldn't be the best player, but I think it's certainly at 44. Um, you know, I'm excited to take him. Value's there. The value's there. That's for certain. Rob, who you got at 45? Yeah, so I, I was debating between two guys. Um, I can't believe I'm going with it's, – it's just – this is – I'll never live this down because I have so many Celtic players, but – Don't do it, Rob. I, don't I, do it. Don't I know, do it, Rob. I know, but – I know but what's I coming, yes! I see it away, Rob. I, I, yeah, I know, but he – in his day – Rob, man, Rob, like, Rob, are you going out of the Rob? Are you going out of the I know, I know. But you know what? Even, like, those Celtics teams in the early um, – to like 2003, four, five range were just garbage, and he was still so much fun to watch, and he carried them. And Say the, at the name, tail Rob, end of his, say it. It's, it's Paul Pierce. And w- once he ah. got a squad, once he got a squad, ah. like he won, you know, he won. And yeah, the truth was yeah. the truth, man. Like he was such a good player. Uh, it's funny that that wheelchair moment is like the first thing that comes to mind when people think of Pierce now, but. Like a true gamer, a true gamer, um, won deservedly won that that finals, you know, MVP in '08. So he's a champ. He did. Um, and he won it over. Garden. He was. He gave a lot of really good players like a run for their money. Guys like Kobe, guys like AI, um, other guys. Like, you know, like he was always toe to toe with some of the best players in the game. And I think again, another guy who goes overlooked. He was next on my big board. I mean, that game seven, 2008 against LeBron in the playoffs was ridiculous. Unbelievable. Um, with that he was next said, on my big board, too. Oh, yeah. He was ne- yep. I, he was next to my big board. I actually flip-flopped him with this guy, somebody who uh, I also think gets uh, completely a little bit of a bad rap. At number 46, I'm oh. going to take Carmelo Anthony. Ooh, ooh. This is the real. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of those were prisoners of the moment. Like, Aaron's probably right. Like, he's probably a top 50 guy, but we're just such haters. Um, so, you know what I mean? It's like, but you take a step back and. Do you want to know Carmelo's yeah. numbers? Do you want to know Carmelo's numbers? From no, they're, they're his fantastic. rookie year to 
2016-2017, almost 25 a game, shooting close to 35% from three, um, 45% from the field, a little low, six and a half rebounds, 3.1 assists. I mean, he's one of six guys to average over 20 points the first 11 years of his career, or the first 14 years of his career, something like that. He's one of six guys. And I just, and I, I, I'm trying not to sound like Bill Simmons so much here, but like Carmelo could have been, he could have had that Dirk run with the right team. You know, he always, and, and even if he wasn't like the best guy, he always thought of himself as like the same level as LeBron James, as the same level of Kobe Bryant. And there's something to that, even though he's not at that level. But the way you carry yourself that way, that rubs off on teammates. I just think a little unfair, especially how things have, yeah. have uh, gone out Denver, in the last couple of years. Denver Carmelo Nugget. Anthony. Denver Nugget, Carmelo Anthony, was was awesome. He was. And he played a good – I liked his role on that team where he had other guys around him a lot better than it was um, in the Triangle of New York. So, I, I agree. Carmelo kind of got the same. I've got – Yeah, go ahead. I, I've got two, two, two knocks with Carmelo. Uh, one of them is more recency bias. I think when he had the option to opt out with the Knicks and find a team that was competitive, and he stayed in with the Knicks knowing they had no cap space and no future, you know, it just rubbed me the wrong way that he wasn't focused. He wasn't a player who wanted to win more than anything. Um, and number two, I just – when the Lakers played the, 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 the Nuggets every year in the playoffs, I was just never worried that Carmelo was going to lead his team and beat the Lakers. I, I just I was never worried about it. He never you were ne- So I was actually about to ask that question. You guys weren't worried about that 2009 Nuggets team? Because that series was a lot closer than I think people remember. Yeah, I was worried. No, I, I think, not worried, worried. Like, you know, I mean, the, the Rockets took the Lakers to seven the series before so based off that it's like hey anything could happen and I think I, I think Denver stole one of the first two games in LA um I, I was I was they were Lakers were down late in that game three um you know Denver was they were legit I was I was I thought Lakers had it but I think that was a very good series yeah, yeah but there were moments the Rob, where I doubted I would say doubted it I would say you were probably scared but maybe you were just scared because the Lakers were blowing it rather than Carmelo was unstoppable. I don't right? know. Like, it was that whole team. That Denver team was good, and Carmelo was really I know, good. I know. I'm just saying, like, Carmelo's yeah. – right, let, let, let's stop it. Carmelo's a scorer, right? And, and where is his where is his 45-point game in the playoffs back against the wall, right? Where's his, you know, magical moment where – and he was in the playoffs a lot with Denver. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem like, to me, he, he had that in him. Um you know, those are my knocks with him. I, I, I I'm think trying there's... to find yeah. yeah, go on. Okay, here's Carmelo's stat against the Lakers in game two, two thousand nine, Western Conference Finals. Carmelo the the Nuggets won the game one oh six, one oh three, and Carmelo has thirty four points, nine rebounds and four assists. It's a monster game. And it wasn't the only time he put up like he played really well that series. It's just Kobe and the Lakers are a little better, but I think I, I'm with I'm with Aaron on this one. I think Carmelo's gotten more of the short end of the stick a lot in his career, and that's why he falls so far down. 
I stand for my man Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. All right. Move, 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 moving on, Josh. Who you got next? Forty-six, I think. Forty. Yeah, forty-six. Uh, forty-seven. 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 I, I uh, as much as I didn't didn't root for him when he was a player, um, uh, his talent was there. Uh, I'm gonna go with Chris Webber at forty-seven. Ooh. I, like I was wondering where he was going to go. Uh, you know, may, may, not, may not always have the, you know, he certainly got some blemishes. Um, those Kings teams were so good, and he was really good for them. The stats are there. 2010 guy every game. Um, and I think in this day and age, I think he would be only, I think he would be better in 2020 than he was then. Rob, yeah, make, steal make the case. Of tonight. No, steal of, of tonight is Chris Weber. Maybe not, you know, like full body of work because of you know didn't play him, you know, I don't know how many years he played in his career, but right, it's not, you know, got a little short, short change and never won a title, but yeah, in his prime, Chris Humber was just mad dog. Did you guys listen to the and, Bill Simmons, Rosillo, and Joe House podcast about the '97 Bullets? Um, they did the rewatchables, the game with the Bullets and the. Um, and the Bulls in the playoffs, no, I, uh, and what they spoke about no. Chris Webber. I suggest you listen to that that uh, podcast because it's it's great. Chris Webber had every talent and every skill you wanted in a big man. He was a ridiculously good, gifted passer. He could run the floor. He could do all of this. And there was just – he always left something on the table. Always. Like – the hot potato at the end of games, it, it, it was just maddening because he just – he had it in spades. Like, he made first team All-NBA in 2001 in a year where there was Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, Tracy McGrady was listed as a forward. Like, that is a stacked, stacked yeah. team. And he made first team All-NBA, but there was just something missing. Like, it, okay, you guys watched him in the playoffs, right, with the Kings. Were you ever nervous that Chris Webber was going to, like, make the play at the end of the game to win the game? No, but I was nervous you know, about him, like, as a player throughout the series. Yeah, I thought he was, like, yeah, he was, he was, you know, the third best player on the floor in that series. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I thought of him at the time. I don't know if I was worried he would make a, you know, make a game-winning shot or if it would just be the game-winning pass to a, a Bibby or, or a Page of Sacks, you know, someone of that sort. But, um, yeah, I think the timeout just, you know, messed him up in college and he never completely recovered from that. I think that's just – but, you know, from a talent level, the guy was shooting 40% from three as soon as he came into the league and putting up 20 and 10 boards with five assists. Um, quite a he had – yeah, he had a little bit of maturity issues, but man, was he good when he was healthy and he was so talented. I, I, I can't knock it. I actually had him 49th on my big board. I was curious to know where he was going to go, but this is about right. I, I, just, just the thing about it, you know, in his third year, he, he shot 44% from three. Not, 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 a, not many attempts, only a little more than two a game, but he took 1.1 three-point attempts per game for his career on average. I mean, there are years where he's not even shooting one a game. Can you imagine him in 2020? Um, I, I just, I think he'd be so good now. Agreed. Agreed. 
Rob, who you got next at 48? It's time to pick Allen Iverson. There he is. There he is. It, 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 we're, 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 we're too much in the weeds. It's, it's like AI, man. We he, he was it. arguably the best, best. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think now it's like today's game. We're just like, nah, he'd be awful. And I think the way he ended his, his career was just bouncing around from team to team. But you think of like prime AI on the Sixers. I get it. Probably not the most prolific three-point shooter, high-volume shooter. Maybe doesn't fit today's game. But all right, six, um, six shooters around. He, he's he's a top fifty guy. Like, let's not, you know, like put some respect on that guy's name. I had him 45th on my big board, probably yeah. a little too low. I, 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 I can't knock the pick. But the thing is, though, that just like, and again, I quote him all the time, but I feel like I agree with everything he says. Besides for that 2001 season, magical season, like his style of play never translated into winning. He never made it past the first round after that. Yeah, but who do they have? You know, like they never really had. That's, like, that's also never, true. You know, you know, that's also true. He was one of those guys. Yeah. Like, there's very few players. You know, I've watched so so much NBA in my life, and like, there's very few guys that you were just so scared. Like, when you're a fan of a team, and then you know, every night you're playing against someone else, like who's big in the league, like another star. There's, there's only so few guys who you're just, like, terrified of. And I remember growing up, Iverson was one of those guys that you're just, like, whenever the Lakers played the Sixers, you're just – you're holding on for dear life every time that guy has the ball because you just know at any moment, like, he was just such a scoring machine. Um, and he could just take over a game or put a game away. And, like, there's just – you know, that that's my biggest memory of Iverson is just, like – from a, a purely scoring standpoint or a guy who just, you know, puts, puts so much wear and tear on your defense because he's just he's, he's going all over the place. Um, Iverson was one of those guys. He's probably just a nightmare you know, to match up against for any coach or player. To back you up, Rob, you know, if I had to win, if I had to win one game, just one game, and I, I wanted to pick a guy that I knew was going to keep me in the game and put up 40, 45 points, um, I think Allen Iverson is really high on that list. Really high. So I'm saying. Yeah. Allen Iverson, and and I think we're going to get to uh, another guy like this. Um, Allen Iverson is one of those guys to me that, yeah, they're flawed, but that dude came to play every single night and left absolutely, left it all out on the court every single night and squeezed the absolute most out of his God-given talents, whether it was physical or ability. I love Allen Iverson for that reason and that reason only. I mean, for other reasons, because he was great. But every single night that dude busted his ass on the court and he always, and he did, he maxed out. And I love guys who max out. Can't re- can't, don't really have much to add on Allen Iverson. That guy was awesome. But with my next pick, I'm, just to show you that I'm not super, super uh, biased, somebody who caused me a tremendous amount of heartbreak as a, as a, uh, a young man, as a child, 
one of my earliest memories. Uh, again, the 93 oh, Charles, Charles Smith um, getting blocked five times is my, my earliest memory. My most vivid early memory was John Starks getting blocked at the end of game six in the finals and then going two for a thousand in game seven. But the one I re remember the most clearly that first really made me cry about the New York Knicks. Eight points in nine seconds. I'm taking him now. Reggie Miller. Yeah, good pick. I had him, you know, two spots lower. Great pick. Six, seven. An excellent three-point shooter. Decent defender. Didn't necessarily need to play with the ball in his hands. But, man, was he dangerous with the game on the line. I mean, I hate the guy. I hate him. But I respect him. To quote, uh, to quote, um, what should we call it? Oh my God, what's that movie? Uh, with um, West Mantooth, uh, Anchorman. I hate you, Reggie Miller, but I respect you. Reggie Miller's the pick. Yeah, hard. I mean, hard to argue. Uh, you know, he's certainly, certainly, you know, in today's NBA, I think his uh, his value would rise as a shooter, as a free throw shooter, a three point shooter. Um, but yeah, yeah, good pick. Uh, you know. Didn't do the most creative, you know, didn't necessarily create for himself all the time. Uh, you know, you sort of need to run the offense specifically tailored to him, but um, a winner, a winner. The one differentiation I had between him and Clay Thompson was Clay Thompson's ceiling as a defender. That was it. All right. Yeah, so we're, I, you know, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Josh, go ahead. Sorry, no, no, just no, I, I just, Clay's probably a little bit better a shooter, I would say. Um, just naturally, but um, I think Reggie actually did a little more, uh, you know, a little more for his team overall, ca carrying a team for so long um, to a lot of success, gave the Bulls certainly quite a run, so he deserves all he gets, yeah. All right, Josh, who you got up next? Um, so uh, uh, a short-lived a short-lived short uh, peak for this player, um, but, uh, you know, Back injuries led to a lot of uh, decline for this guy, but I'm going to take a player who I think uh, would be a a much much more athletic uh, Draymond Green uh, in 2020. I'm going to take Mr. Larry Johnson. Ooh, I had him as one of my tough cuts. Make the case. I love this. Make the case. Uh, you know, uh, a really competitive time in the early 90s for big men. And he puts up 19-11 as a rookie, 22-10-4 uh, as a sophomore. The biggest thing, and, you know, we just talked about how other players would, would react. He signed, in 93, he signed a 12-year, $84 million contract, which was the richest contract. I mean, you know, GMs were willing to give him all the most money based on his first three years in the NBA because the guy was just jumping out of the gym. He could, he could distribute. He was basically averaging 20, and 20, 10, and 5. Um, nothing he couldn't do, which, you know, I think at that time, you know, maybe he gets a little overshadowed by bigger centers. Um, but I think in the current NBA, you know, being able to switch defensively um, and, and, like we said, uh, uh, you know, shoot the three, I, I think he's an awesome talent for 2020. The Zion Williamson is the evolution of him. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, I can't like say I've seen I've seen him Larry Johnson play enough 
I remember him on those Knicks teams, but I can't like for the life of me. No, I can't that's already, it's already after the back. That, yeah, that's that, yeah. that's too late, Rob. You, Rob, you got to yeah. go back yeah. and and watch some video. Sure. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I again, I can't make the argument one way. I, I got to look at more tape. So who you got up next? I think we're up to what pick? What number are we up to? Forty nine. 49. Yeah, that was 50. 51. Oh, 51. 51. Okay, 51. Rob, who you got? I got a guy who I always felt played really well in really big games. Um, And I think could shoot with the best of them. I love him in a big game situation. He could play one-on-one. A lot of titles. Um, Another guy who kind of goes overlooked. Um, but I thought in some of the finals that his team won, I thought he was a better player, but didn't necessarily end up winning the finals MVP. Uh, Manu Ooh. Ginobili. I wow. love it. I love it. He was wow. on my big board at 54. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, think my was, was, I thought, I remember so many Lakers series, like, Duncan was always like he was going to give you, you know, he's going to fill up the stat board. But like Ginobili, I felt like was the guy who you game planned around. You know, he was a wild card. He was the guy that was going to come off the bench and like make those big plays in the fourth quarter or, you know, get hot and bury your team late. Um, he was the one that was like, he was the scary one sometimes. And he was tough to guard too. He's so creative, but could also he'd run you around on picks and you know, lights out from the outside. So, um, Ginobili was just, you know, he definitely gets more credit because he's been in big finals games. You know, he was fortunate enough to be on the Spurs, but um, just a heck of a player and and a true champion. I think you have him, like Josh, to your point, he's a guy like he's on your team. You're you're winning more games. Um, unselfish, put the ball on the floor. Like I just, I, I love his game and thought he came through a lot of a lot of big moments. I love Ginobili. Josh, you got anything else on Ginobili? Uh, no. Yeah, he's he's a talent, fun guy to watch. I certainly would want to play with him for sure. That's a great that's a great player. So with that said, my next pick, I think this is number fifty three. I am going to take Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that's completely fair. Completely. That's, that's who I had next on my big board. I'd, I'd, I'd wrestle next. Another guy who I think gets a bad rap. Um, another guy. I feel like who, a few years ago he would have been higher on most people. You know what I mean? Like. Well, he had that terrible shooting stretch from, especially from three, the last like year and a half. But I, you know what? As I've said before multiple times, I like guys who max out, who get the most out of their ability, play hard every single night. Yeah, they may be flawed. Russell Westbrook. I'm a ride or die Russell Westbrook guy. He's my pick. Yeah. Great. No complaints. All right, Josh, who you got? 54. Uh, six, 54. Six Unbelievable. Uh, I, I think he's probably the only uh, MVP swap on the board. Um, discounting injuries, I would have loved to see what he could have become. Mm. I'm going to take Mr. Derrick Rose. Had a feeling you were going. Okay, okay. Yeah, I always thought that MVP season was a little overrated, though. Yeah, 
You know, I think from a stats point, you're probably right. I think from a, you know, will his team carry his team? Um, uh, you know, I think he was the motor for that team, and we quickly saw them fall apart as soon as he was wasn't there. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to argue. It's just. It's. It's really just a shame, and it's. It's good that he's kind of like gotten back a little bit, but like he had a stretch there for a while where he couldn't stay healthy. He went AWOL with the Knicks and just he, – he's turned himself into a really nice player. Um, but what could have been? Yeah, he's a definite ultimate what could have been guy. Rob, who you got at 54? This one is I – can't, I can't live with just one Laker for the night. Um, <laughs> he was in my he oh. was in my top sixty. He was he was in mine as well. Yeah. I mean, can do it all, right? Like in his day, like who's stopping Paul Gasol in today's league, right? He okay, so, so can, can take you outside. He doesn't need to clog up the paint. Um, I don't know. I think another one of those guys we might we might overlook a little bit. Just unbelievable, like just talent wise, um, exceptional. I I I mean, regardless if I'm a big Laker fan, I still think he's um, he, you know from 1980 today's modern era top 50 guy. I think Gasol's in there for sure. So let me ask you a question. Gun to your head, you know, starting a team, you have these. Three or four guys together. Pau Gasol, Blake Griffin, Amari Stoudemire, Chris Bosh. And we'll add Rashid Wallace as a fifth. Is Pau Gasol so, your first pick? Yeah, he is. I think Gasol and Bosh are, are – I, I think it's like 1A, 1B. It's interchangeable. Like, it's almost – Bosh might get – I probably did went with Gasol a little bit with the Laker bias. Like, Bosh, I think, may have been a little bit of a better – you know, a more willing three-point shooter, but um, in terms, I'm sorry, who are the other guys you mentioned were Chris Bosh and Rashid, Blake Griffin, and Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, the only other one, the the interesting one is Amari. I think if Amari wasn't injured, didn't get injured, um, you know, in the middle of his career, I think he would be head and shoulders above all those guys. But I am taking somewhat like, you know, full body of work. You know, speed games one, um, you know, the whole sort of enchilada. But Amari Stoudemire was, like, in that series, I don't know if it was, like, 04 or 05, he destroyed, even though the Spurs won the series, he destroyed Tim Duncan when they used to play in the in the playoffs. Destroyed. I mean, he was he was the better player on the floor. He was. Um, but, again, injuries and, and all that sort of delayed his career. But um, in terms of the list you gave me, yeah, I still think it's all. Like as a as a you know a better player, um, you know. Josh, what career. say you? No, I love the pick. I I actually would take Pau ahead of Bosch and uh, and and Anabetta ahead of Amari. Um, I think Amari would have to do some changing to his game in 2020. Um, I think Bosch might have been a better shooter, but um, in terms of a gamer who proved it in the playoffs when he was relied upon. Um, I think Powell's got the resume over Bosch. Yeah, I love it. Hard, 
Hard, hard to argue. So, Josh, what number are we on again? I'm sorry, I'm losing track of, of numbers. I think we're 55. I think we're at 55. 55, so we've got six picks left. Two each. I had this guy actually flip-flopped with someone else. I'm taking the last member of the dream team that hasn't been taken. I'm taking Chris Mullen. Great pick. 55. Can we talk about Mullen from the year 88-89 to 92-93? In today's NBA, 26 a game. He shot 35% from three. He would have shot more. He only took two attempts a game. That would have been about eight now. He was, in that time, 87% from the line. That guy was a monster, man. Oof. Chris Mullen. Yeah, could, and, and he'd be ball. great today. He'd be awesome. Great he'd be like today. A, yeah. Maybe a Clay Thompson type. Smart. He, had a, he, he was able to pass. Not a good defender, but he, he had court vision. I mean, that guy was awesome. I'm shocked he's lasted this late. Shocked. Yeah, great pick. pick. I, you know, he... he wasn't on the greatest of teams, but um, I think that's why he gets overlooked a little bit. And the injury, you know, sort of made his uh, his career not as long. But, yeah, quite a talent. All right. So, who we got at 56? Um, I'm going to take a guy who I think uh, just, uh, you know, again, just too bad. Just too bad. Would have loved to see him healthy um, in four years. In his first four years, and and that's pretty much where his career ended. He he was uh, he was All NBA in two of those years. He was an All Star three out of four. I'm gonna go with Mr. Brandon Roy. Ooh, I didn't even think of him. I would have had him higher had I thought about him. Too much talent, guys. I mean, he was Ooh. basically a twenty and five and five guy. Four seasons. I totally yeah, I think I forgot about him. Didn't... Well, I probably didn't consider him because of the injury and all that, but I, I, yeah. Oh my God. I totally forgot about him. He was a monster and a killer at the end of games. Oh yeah. Nothing he couldn't do. Nothing he couldn't do. I totally forgot about him. I would have had him over a bunch of different guys, but that, that right there, if, if you're projecting just, his career going forward without a hitch, without injury. Woof. That, that, I mean, just to, he may be the most talented make, guy picked this late for sure. To make all NBA twice in your first four seasons is just incredible. Yeah. I can't, can't argue it. Didn't even, didn't even think of him. Totally, totally forgot about him. Can't argue it. Woof. What a, what a ball player he was. I loved watching him. Absolutely loved watching him. Rob, who you got at 58? Uh, no, 57. 57. Dennis Rodman. I had him 59th. The worm. I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, rebound, defense, champion. Um, side note, I actually think he was the ninth. He wasn't, but he was a close runner-up, I thought, to um, the 96th. Uh, MVP against the Sonics. I thought he was, um, I thought he was so good in that series, and that was my first like recollection of 
you know, of him and, and how he was able to dominate a series, um, you know, with just rebounding and blocking shots. I remember he gave Malone so many fits. Um, yeah, big Dennis Rodman guy. I know he sort of I, – I listened to some of his podcasts too where sort of like talked about, you know, is Robin an overrated guy? But And I know he sort of was up and down and sometimes a cancer to a team. But I think, um, you know, when he was on, guy who can dominate a game with one point um, is, is remarkable. I think he's he's like one of those guys like any team would love to have him, you know? Like you, you hate him when he's not on your team, but when he's on your team, you love him. And I think he's like he's – a, he's a winner um, wherever he went, right? Like they've, they've been pretty successful. So, yeah, I think he's a top 50 guy. I, I, I agree. I mean, I had him, I had him 59th. Um, Josh, what do, what do you got on Rodman? Um, you know, I, again, I, I just think if you're, you know, if you're starting a team, um, you're, you're, you're getting more wins with other guys that are still out there. Um, you know, if you're talking to me about, I've got two great stars, who, are, who do I want to, who do I want third on my team? I, I'm taking Dennis Armin over anybody. Um, but in terms of picking a team, I think he went a little early. But listen, all the things Robert said is true. I mean, the guy did everything. It's hard to measure defensive. You know, we don't see defense the same way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you, you know, I, I, I think I would have taken other guys over him. Uh, he just missed my top 60. Well, with that said, and, and this is really tough because I didn't initially have this guy this high. I mean, I did have him this high, but oh. he's not the next guy on my big board. At 58, kind of like the evolutionary Rodman, I'm going to take Sean Marion. Oof. Just missed the – yeah. And I, I, I had – Yeah, maybe Phoenix Suns, Sean Marion, I could see a case for yeah. – Phoenix Suns, Sean Marion. Okay, so we're starting with 2001-2002 to 07 08. All right? We're talking 19 a game, 10 rebounds a game, two blocks. I mean, two steals, a block and a half, two assists. Shot 35% from three. Shot 48% from the field. Was a tremendous defensive player. Um, Doesn't need the ball. You know, can score off of just activity. Could guard multiple guys. Sean Marion. Yeah, great nickname. Great nickname. The Matrix. Matrix. Could he shoot um, well enough? Yeah, I surprisingly he shot it pretty well, Rob. Mid thirties, most of you know. Thirty three percent for his career. Thirty three percent for his career. It wasn't pretty, but you know there, there was there was some bad years at the end where he was he was pretty low on the three. That sort of hurts his career average, but I think it's even higher than yeah. really thirty three. Uh, my one knock, and, and I think, Aaron, that we – you know, it's, it's funny how people get labeled away and then we think this. Um, you know, we think of him as a tremendous defensive player, and I think he was. He doesn't have any uh, all-NBA defense team. He never made the all-NBA for defensive. So, just struck That's me strange. It's interesting. Yeah, it just struck me as interesting that, you know, I think we, we all think he had – he certainly had the talent, and by the end of his career with, with the Mavericks, I think we – Remember him as the guy who guarded LeBron and helped shut down LeBron? Um, you know, I'm not sure it was always that way. 
I think that if he had had those all defensive, all NBA defensive teams, I think he probably would have cracked my top 60. But uh, as, a, as a result, he didn't for me. It's funny you say that because he did make two all NBA teams. Which yep. is just, which is just weird. I, I feel like if you put him with it's the Warriors, not how you would have remembered him, right? Yeah. If you put him with the Warriors and you swapped him with Draymond Green, the Warriors are just as good. I mean, maybe not because Draymond Green could guard fives, but offensively yeah. with him on the short roll, Draymond, I mean, woof. Draymond, Draymond's a lot better passer, but you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say you swap him with that Iggy with Iguodala, um, maybe Harrison Barnes, swap him in there. I mean, the, the talent, you know, athletic ability to talent through the roof. Yeah. Sean Marion, I think he's been a little underrated. So uh, we're up to pick 59. And by the way, I had Sean Marion below a couple of other guys on my big board, but I gave it a little bit more thought. Sean Marion, 58. Josh, you got it, 59. Um, I, I, I can't believe that he's available. Um, I know, you know where you're going. have a guy... You know where I'm going? I mean, I just think from a talent perspective, before the the knees sort of went out, um, I mean, we've got a guy on on you know we've got a guy on the board who's averaged almost 30 points a game, almost twice. I mean, if you can put yes. up 29, 20 points a game and still six assists, yes, 59. I'll take Gilbert Arenas any day. Oh, yes. You know, I don't has won has won tonight. Oh my God! I yeah, I'm in that camp. I'm you know, on the bus driver. You go back. Your remember, bus, you remember the Wizards playoff series against LeBron with the Cavs, and and yep. and Arenas was hanging. They were with. He was hanging with them. Yep. Too short he dropped injury, sixty man. on Kobe one game. I was there too, and I was like, this guy is a top three guy in the league. Too short, too short, uh, too bad. Can, too too bad. short. I think that the locker room gun incident with that Wizards team overshadowed it. And I think that, but I think you're right. Like there, just when I think of Gilbert Arenas, was like as complete as could be. Like there was nothing. He was his offensive game was absolutely flawless. And you're right. Him and LeBron was just an awesome rivalry. They went toe to toe. They did. Can we talk about that three year stretch for a second. Um, when he gets to when he gets to Washington, it's his second year in Washington, 2014. Yeah, or four seven. Yeah. Okay. 27.7 a game. He shot 83, basically 83% from the line, 36% from three. 40. Got to the line a lot, Aaron. Got to the line a lot. He was like James Harden before James Harden. Eight free throws a game, eight threes a game. I loved Gilbert Arenas. When I was getting buckets and YU intramurals, I used to yell hibachi when I was really feeling it. People used to get so mad. I love Gilbert Arenas. Yeah, that Oof. might be your player comp. I'll take it. I love that guy. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I, yeah, had no, him, I had him on my league. toughest. I had him on my toughest cut for the top sixty. And honestly, I, I, I feel I feel bad about myself now. It's a good one. All right, last 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 pick of the draft, Rob Carpellis at sixty. Who you got? Yeah, so I was gonna make a splash again and stir the pot, but I also felt like maybe I needed to redeem myself um, for the Lamar Odom pick. So I thought maybe use my brain instead of my heart um, and go with what makes sense with the board. Um, He's a top 
40 guy ever in win shares, which I think is a really good stat that I always like to follow from time to time. And if you look at those guys in that list, it's like, it's all big names. Um, he's, he's right behind Kevin Durant. So if you want, you know, for context um, in terms of all time win shares, and he's, I think would have gone down as, you know, the best center of this era if he didn't get hurt. Um, I didn't like him for a long time and now I kind of like him again. Um, I guess you could call him a Laker. Um, but the real winner of 2010, I thought MVP that Derek Rose stole from him, <clears throat> Dwight Howard. Ooh. Wow. You, I mean, people forget, man, like in his day on Orlando, he was, he, he was a top three guy in the league. It was like Kobe, LeBron, and then like Dwight was in that conversation. Um, Eight all-NBA teams. He was. I don't hate. I that. mean, defense, defensively, even offensively. I thought he had, you know, an underrated game. Um, he controlled the game on the defensive end, but I think all around, um, you know, a prime Dwight Howard is is you know as good a center as we've seen in the last, other than Shaq, um, in the last twenty years for sure, a dying breed. So. It was. Ju- it was just boxy offensively. It was. And and the thing that hurts Dwight is he wanted to be Shaq. He wanted to be these guys to be like the focal point of an offense for him just getting post touches. And it was just ugly. And if he just... Yeah, he wasn't, he, embraced, he wasn't anywhere near the footwork of Shaq. Yeah, if he just embraced being the role guy, doing like... He, he was getting 22 and 10s off of just diving to the basket, being active, and being the best defensive player in the league. You know, he won, he won the award three times, and he just decided, like, he needed to get post-touches. And I understand, like, trying to give a guy post-touches early on so he keeps rolling and keeps being active and playing defense and rebounds. But it was just ugly when you threw it down there. It was just ugly. You imagine, you know, you take, you take Dennis Rodman's outlook on the game and you put it in Dwight Howard's body, and you would Oof. just have – a completely different player that I think all of us would have taken way higher. Yeah. I mean, I had Alonzo, I had Alonzo morning. I had Alonzo morning ranked over Dwight Howard. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't consider Howard. Maybe longevity. I didn't consider consider Howard for, for, you know, even in my, he wasn't even my top 70 mainly because, um, you know, he, he's, he's just going to be reliant on others to put him in a situation to score. Uh, he's a more athletic and a better Clint Capella um, at this point, I think. But, you know, you know, certainly back in the day, he was up there and he's got the pedigree. He's got the resume. Um, I just think for 2020, I think he, his skill set is outdated. So let me ask you a question, Josh, and then we'll go with Rob. Who was it on your big board in the top 60 that wasn't picked? Uh, I've got a few. Um, I had Bosch. Name them um, quickly. I had Bosch. I had Bosch. I actually had Kevin Love. Um, Interesting. Marcus Aldridge. Interesting. Yeah, I think people forget Minnesota Kevin Love was like putting up a 50-50 and 50 game um, or whatever it was, a 30-30 and 30 game. People just forget um, he was a beast before he got to Cleveland. Um, I had Amari. I had Bosch. Uh, I had LaMarcus Aldridge in there as uh, a big with, with – uh, with shooting ability. And uh, the biggest one I had high up that didn't go, I actually had Kevin Johnson on my top 60. Interesting. Interesting. 
Rob, who'd you, who'd you have in the top 60 that wasn't picked? Um, I'll give one because I have a lot of those guys. I'll give one name. Um, Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp was on my yeah. toughest cuts. Sean yeah. Kemp was um, awesome, awesome in his prime. Just awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 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 But a little bit, um, again, some of the longevity, you know, it's like you got to do it for more than a few years. Um, but that, that song, those Sonics teams were awesome. So he did have a pretty decent body of work. Um, but yeah, just had to make, had to make the cut. Zach Lowe said that Sean Kemp was the best player in the 96 finals. And uh, I trust Zach Lowe. A couple of guys I had that we didn't mention. I, I mentioned Alonzo Mourning. I mean, Alonzo Mourning from 92-93 to 2000, 21 a game, seven boards a game, three blocks a game. He had won two Defensive Player of the Year's awards, seven-time All-Star. That guy was pretty good. Um, it was good. I had Vince Carter, which was controversial. Yeah. But, man, when Vince Carter had it, like, he really had it. And I know he's, like, redeemed himself and being a good teammate, but, like, my God, the stretch he had till like, 2007 was ridiculous. Right. We take take the 2000 Vince Carter and quite a player. And the other guys I had was um, Blake Griffin and I had Draymond Green. Yeah, no, I didn't have I didn't have it for me. And um, wh- who are some of your toughest cuts? I mean, mine was Gilbert Arenas, Joe Dumars was a really tough cut for me. Sean Kemp, um, Brad Doherty, Mark Price, uh, Tim Hardaway Sr., Bradley Beal. Yeah, Kemp, Kemp was a tough cut for me. I um, I actually these names are going to surprise you. I. I really wanted to put him on the list. Uh, I think Joe Johnson is, is, is a talented, talented dude in his day um, with the Hawks um, after he left Phoenix before he got to New Jersey uh, or Brooklyn. Um, and I, I would and I, I just I would love to see Peja play in 2020. I would love Ooh. it. Interesting. Ooh, another guy I didn't yeah. even consider. That is that is so yeah, I, fire. I, I don't think he I don't think he does anything else to. to to make the list. Um, and if you're starting a team, I think that all the other names mentioned are probably make more sense, but I would just love to see what uh 2020 version of Peja looks like. Interesting. Do you guys, re- you guys um, know what Mark price shot for th- from three for his career? And this was when they didn't shoot him. He shot 40% from three for his career. One year he shot 48%, almost 49%. Wow. Almost makes you wish they would have figured things out a little earlier. Seriously, before the knee injuries, that guy was nasty. All right, guys. This was so awesome. So awesome. Um, This was better than the first round. It was more interesting than the first round. A lot less chalk. We're going to have to do – hopefully we're going to talk about some type of NBA content sometime soon. Guys, thank you for giving me so much of your time tonight. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. Speak with you guys soon. Always a pleasure. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Be well, guys. Bye, Speak Josh. Thanks again to uh, Rob Carpellis, Josh Friedman. We completed the all-time draft, uh, the second round. So much fun. 
That's episode 78 for the love of the game. Take us out, Outcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.